the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, it is. And a good morning to you. Eight minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. On this Thursday, the 15th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 22. Really appreciate you being with us. Big, big day today. Big show today. Big evening tonight. Uh, the um, Ohio Conservative Forum uh, is tonight in Medina at the Thirsty Cowboy. Going to hook up with a whole bunch of other conservative thought leaders on a stage in which we uh, discuss everything that matters to uh, Ohio conservatives and, quite frankly, just American patriots. Jim Renacci will moderate the American Greatness Forum. It's the Ohio Conservative Forum, so we're going to look forward to talking to Jim Renacci about that coming up a little bit later on this morning. Among our three guests who are going to be a part of this broadcast. At 10.10 this morning, we're going to catch up with uh, Jack Windsor. Ironically, or coincidentally, or not, uh, Jack is going to be on that stage with us tonight as well. But uh, Jack and I normally talk on Wednesdays. He was busy yesterday, so we've got him today in place of Dr. Piper. Dr. Everett Piper is off today. He's uh, traveling. So we have Jack Windsor at 10.10 in the Piper slot. Then at 10.35, we're going to talk to Jim Renacci, as I mentioned, about the uh, Ohio Conservative Forum that's going to be in Medina tonight, which I'm very much looking forward to. And then uh, coming up at 10 or 11.10, this is a big one. 
We're going to talk to a member of the Ohio State Board of Education, Brendan Shea, who has put forth a proposal that has the leftists going berserk. It is a proposal that pushes back against the Title IX reforms that the Biden administration is going to try to force upon the states in order to receive any more, uh, continue to receive federal funding. The left is going, uh, going crazy. They consider this to be an attack or a targeting of LGBTQXYZ exclamation point ampersand dollar sign uh, students when what it really is is a protection of girls, primarily girls, to stop them from being threatened, to stop them from losing their rights, stop them from losing the uh, opportunities that they have been given since uh, the Title IX reforms were passed or Title IX was first passed 50 years ago. So there's a massive push, as you know, to try to include uh, from those on the left and the Brandon administration to try to include people as girls if they just say they're girls or if they just feel like the girls. And they don't even have to feel like the girls all the time. They can feel like they're girls part of the time. But, you know, some days not. Some days boys, some days girls. Yeah, I'll play on whatever team I want. I'll go into whatever shower I want, and you can say nothing about it. I'm protected because of my identity. It is an absolute bastardization of the Title IX protections that were granted to girls and women 50 years ago. So this is a big deal. It's a very big deal. And we're going to talk about that uh, coming up with Brendan Shea of the Ohio State Board of Education. He is pushing hard with this new resolution to try to stop those Title IX uh, changes from being made. So those are our three guests today. We've got Jack Windsor, we've got Jim Renacy, and we've got Brendan Shea. And, of course, as I tell you every morning, our most important guest of the day is you. I love talking to you. I do. Uh, And I love learning from you just as much as I love uh, presenting information to you. So when you're ready to become my guest, dial it up. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you right here where you need to be. So I look forward to your phone calls, and I look forward to some really important and hilarious news in our monologue, which is coming up after we rise. Patriots, please stand. Face your flag if you have one. If you don't, that is all right. But put your your hand on your heart and join us for our daily Pledge of Allegiance. If you do not believe in spreading the wealth and the glory and the wonderful contributions of millions of illegal aliens outside of the border states and sharing that glorious wealth with the other big blue sanctuary cities around this country, well, then you don't understand the meaning of liberty. You don't understand the meaning of that flag. You do understand the meaning of hypocrisy. As such, you are exempted from my request to stand for our Pledge of Allegiance. Instead, you may go take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and go ahead and spit on this country a little bit more. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So this is just too priceless. <laughs> I just love this. The governors are are trying to one-up one another. Conservative red state governors 
are one-upping one another in an attempt to show the branded administration what this glorious sharing of the positive contributions of millions of illegal aliens looks like in their communities. And, of course, they say all of that tongue-in-cheek because this massive crush of illegal aliens in the United States of America is devastating. It's devastating to the economy. It's devastating to the crime statistics. It's devastating to uh, the, the drug abuse in this country. It is horrific, the fact that our border is so wide open. But the left says, let it stay open. We have to be compassionate Open your arms and welcoming, welcome these people in. They're fleeing persecution, don't you know? In their northern triangle, Central American countries, in, their, uh, in, in, in Africa, in, 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 in uh, Europe, and, and all over the world, Asia, everywhere they're coming from, they're all seeking asylum for persecution, from persecution in their own countries, you see. And they can't get that asylum in Mexico. They can only get it here, so... Open your arms, you xenophobes. Open your arms, you bigots. Open your arms, you racists. Let them come in. And away they go. Here they are. Two million people crossing this year alone. When you count the Godaways, those are the ones they know about. When you count the Godaways, there's uh, numbers around four and a half million since Biden took office. That's a lot of people. And all of these individuals coming into the United States are coming by way of the southern border. And what? populating the southern border states and cities. And what does that do to the populations down there? It cripples them. No community, no state, even one the size of Texas, should be able, uh, should be forced to try to handle all of that. So what they have done is started to move these people to other places so that they can have what? Drumroll, please. What's that word that the Democrats love so much? Sanctuary. We're going to ask these people if they would like to get on a bus and go and, 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 and partake of the wonderful offerings of sanctuary that have been put forth by blue sanctuary cities that have declared themselves as such. Places like Philadelphia, New York, Washington, D.C., Chicago, San Francisco. Would you like to go to somebody? Yes. And so they're boarding the buses and they're taking them. Except all of a sudden, all of the nut job liberals in those cities are screaming wait a minute we said you should open your arms down there in texas what are you bringing them up here for we've got nothing for them this is this is a national emergency this is overwhelming we need federal relief what are you doing bringing thousands of migrants into these cities there should be two million migrants stuck in texas so the governors are one-upping one another now. You know that Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, started sending busloads of illegals to New York City. And over the course of the last couple of months, there have collectively been thousands that have been dropped off in New York City. At their own request, again, all of these are voluntary. Nobody is being rounded up at gunpoint, forced onto a bus, and, a bus, and they're just dumped on a corner in New York City. No, no, no. These are all voluntary. And then they started doing the same thing in Washington, D.C., where Muriel Bowser, the mayor, is freaking out and calling for an emergency uh, declaration because we can't handle all these people. Let Texas handle all these people. Then Chicago and Lori Lightfoot. Well, now, what, what do I mean when I say they're trying to one-up one another? Well, let's start with um, Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor Ron DeSavage in Florida. 
they've got a ton of illegal aliens who have come down there as well. So he has decided, let's find a better place for them. Let's find a place where they can really enjoy some of the benefits of American privilege. Let's send them to one of the wealthiest, most exclusive locations in America. So Governor Ron DeSavage in Florida, who I would love to be the next president of the United States, Governor Ron DeSavage put two plane loads of illegal aliens, or put illegal aliens, rather, on two planes, uh, loaded them up and sent them to Martha's Vineyard, which is just this side of outstanding. Daniel Diggins! Where elite... Where elite liberal Democrats hold sway and they have their private little lives, their little yachting lives, and their little mansion lives, and they're all insulated from the real, uh, you know, horrors or challenges, if you will, of the world. Not anymore. Ron DeSantis said, yeah. And by the way, this is exactly what I was talking about. For the last few, you know, weeks that we've been covering this, a little bit on and off. This is what I'm saying. I get it. Send them to New York. I get it. Send them to Chicago. I get it. Send them to DC. But you got to send them to where the Democrat decision makers live, where the Democrat leaders live. Places like Martha's Vineyard. And my next step, of course, as I mentioned, was Biden's beach community in Delaware. He spends as much time in Delaware, even as president, as he does in DC. That's where he goes. Yesterday, he wasted how much How much money? They said a couple hundred thousand taxpayer dollars getting a flight, or not yesterday, but uh, Tuesday, getting a flight to, to, to uh, uh, fly. He had, a, he had a motorcade from his little party that he held on the lawn celebrating the Inflation Production Act. He had a little party here. He had a motorcade to join Andrews. Then they got a flight to Delaware, had a motorcade from Delaware, or from the uh, airport in Delaware, to his, uh, his beach house then to vote in person, then a motorcade back, then a flight back, and then a motorcade back to the Oval Office again. All of that completely and wholly unnecessary because he could have voted absentee from Washington, D.C. He could have voted easily. Instead, he spent all of that money. But the point is he loves being in Delaware, which is why Martha's Vineyard Governor Rhonda Savage is a great, great start. But the next plane load or, or bus load, you can do it by bus. You don't have to go to by, by plane because it's not an island. But the next load of migrants should go right to Rehoboth Beach, Del- Delaware. And I hope I'm saying that name right. I've never been there. But that's exactly what needs to happen. So take them where they live. Dump these illegal aliens in all of their splendor. Dump them at Joe Biden's doorstep, literally. So when I say they're trying to one-up one another, you know, Abbott is sending them here and there and there. And I've dis- uh, uh, Governor Doug Ducey in Arizona is doing the same thing. Now Ron DeSantis jumps in and says, Martha's Vineyard. Well, Greg Abbott has said, I will see your Martha's Vineyard <laughs> challenge, and, uh, and I will respond by going right to Kamala's house, right to Kamala Harris's home. Now, this is staying with the D.C. theme, so it's not new, but it's not just taking them literally to Washington, D.C., to some reception center now the game has been stepped up governor greg abbott has sent more than uh uh two more busloads actually i'm trying to find the number here no yeah two two more migrant busloads to specifically be delivered to kamala harris right outside her naval observatory residence in washington dc so when i say 
figuratively, take these illegal aliens and put them on Biden's doorstep, I kind of mean it figuratively. But you know what? Not really. Make it literally. You know where his beach house is. It's public. The press is always there when he's in, when he's in Delaware. Take them to his doorstep. And that's what Abbott did this time, picking up people on two busloads in Eagle Pass, Texas, and being sent directly, this group of migrants from Venezuela, Uruguay, uh, Colombia, and Mexico. Multiple migrants who say they know the border is open, contrary to what Harris said during uh, Kamala Harris said during an interview on uh, Sunday to Chuck Todd. They all know the border is open. They say we're coming here because we know we can. These people were taken from Eagle Pass, Texas, and bussed directly to Kamala's residence which I absolutely love. This is the best thing. I mean, quite literally. And at the time this is going on, at the time, you know, things get heavier for the mayors. You know, Muriel Bowser in D.C. and and obviously Eric Adams in New York and Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. As they're all freaking out on this, they're freaking out to the press and saying, we can't live like this. How are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to do with all these people? They're, they're, they're yelling at the press. But now they're going to have to turn their attention and yell at somebody else. Somebody who can actually do something about this. Now they're going to turn their anger and their ire at Kamala Harris and at Joe Brandon, which is precisely where the anger and the, and the ire should be directed. They're the ones bringing these people into Texas. They're the ones who are then ultimately responsible for them being moved and transported up to their blue cities. So they're exploding now. They're calling DeSantis names. They're calling Abbott names. They're calling Ducey names. They're calling them Nazis. They're calling them uh, racists and bigots and everything else. But at the end of the day, now they're looking to the federal government and saying, do something. And guess what, Eric Adams? Guess what? Uh, 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 Muriel Bowser? Guess what? Lori Lightfoot? Guess what? J.B. Pritzker, governor in Illinois? You should have been yelling at the federal government all along. Why did it take them to come to your doorstep for you to realize the huge problem this is for the people of Texas and the actual border cities? Why did it take it? You can't. I don't live on the border, and I know what these people are going through. You want to know why? Because I've interviewed them. I'm going to interview them again next week when I'm in D.C., talking to people uh, on the border and along the border about what some of these concerns are. If I can do it, why can't you? It took them being in your yard for you to actually go to the federal government and say, get them out of here. How about that? I wonder if we're actually going to see. The governor, or excuse me, the border, the southern border of the United States of America, actually start to become secure sometime before the end of the Biden presidency. And if it is, it won't even be because of the Republican majority that's coming in November. It will be because of Democrat mayors who finally have seen the light. Thank you to Ron DeSantis. Thank you to Greg Abbott. Thank you to Doug Ducey. Thank you to Republican governors who are showing them what it's like. 925, Always Right Radio. Really glad you're with us. Fired up this morning. Join us at 216-901-0945. Right here on AM 1420, The Answer. 
928 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's go to Mike calling us from Greater Cleveland somewhere. I don't know where specifically, but Mike, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, hey, Bob. Uh, the the um, governors have to take it to the next level or even think this all the way through. Mm-hmm. It's fine to send them to the home or to the neighborhoods of uh, the politicians, the leftist politicians, but we're... Who enables enable these leftist politicians? The Chuck Todds, the Wolf Blitzers, the NBC execs, the CNN execs. You can drop these these illegals right off on their sidewalk doorsteps. Mike, that's where you got to put them. And when Mike, they're in their neighborhoods, they'll be screaming. Mike, you're a brilliant, brilliant man. I have not considered that aspect of it. They're taking them to Kamala's doorstep, literally in D.C. Why not drop them off in New York? Not just at the at the uh, you know the, the 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 port authorities or at the you know city center. Take them to the neighborhoods where the Chuck Todds of the world live and work, where the editors of the New York Times live and work, where all of those who tell us to be compassionate and open our arms to the illegal aliens seeking asylum. I agree. Absolutely. Let them open their homes if they want to if they want <laughs> that's a mike thanks for the call i appreciate it that's good stuff that's a great call i've been trying to find a way i've been trying to find a way to poke the left in the eye over this for a long time i've been applauding governor abbott for sending them to these cities loving the fact that they're being specific now going to martha's vineyard going to kamala harris's residence dropping them there but mike's right Take them to the media neighborhoods, too, and see how welcoming they are of these people then. Great call. We'll be back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 937, the battleground is, uh, is ready. Uh, it, 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 this is Ohio. We are, we are literally the center of the, uh, of the fight. This is the battleground on which the, uh, the war will be won or lost. Seriously. In November, when it comes to the midterm elections, Ohio is as big as any state is in terms of power in the legislature. It is time to restore that power to the conservative constitutionalists uh, that we have running. And uh, we need to rally together to do it. So the Battleground Talkers Tour is scheduled. And we have just finalized things. Coming up on October 22nd at the IX Center, I will be on stage along with my good friend and WHK's own Peter Kersenow. I call him ours because he does the Kersenow Report. Yes, he's an attorney. Yes, he's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights and an author. But he does the Kersenow Report, so we're going to call him our own. Uh, I'll be there. Peter Kersenow will be there. Hugh Hewitt will be there. Eric Metaxas will be there. And Officer Tatum will be there. We will address it all. Every bit of it, the economy, inflation, the reality of inflation, not the Biden lies about inflation and the Inflation Reduction Act, the Green New Deal garbage that they are wasting billions and billions of our tax dollars on, the real border crisis, the real parent crisis, the assault on parents and the assault on parents' rights by way of educators and left-wing teachers' unions. We're going to talk about all of it, our civil rights, the IRS coming after us, 
the raid on Mar-a-Lago in trying to stop a political opponent from having an opportunity to win his presidency back. The real effects that we are all experiencing right now from the Brandon policies and platforms, all of it, October 22nd. And we will talk about what needs to be done to get... And look, I'm just telling you point blank. Somebody asked me yesterday what the overarching goal of the uh, Battleground Talkers Tour event is on October 22nd. And I said the answer is voter enthusiasm. We need people who think, you know, look, the reality is there's a lot of people who think that we've got it in the bag, particularly in Ohio. You don't. We don't. And even if you think we do have it in the bag... You know they are capable of cheating. We have seen it. Fraud is real. Dominion voting machines, the Eric voting system, uh, voting system, uh, uh, the voter rolls that are not completely cleaned up. I mean, so many different things can happen. The only way to overcome that is to make sure that there is no doubt to outvote them, to out energy them, to uh, to out enthusiasm them. We have to win by so many on election day that any of those other things that they try to do will be rendered pointless and moot. So that's why we're going to gather together. We're going to rally together. We're going to be loud. We're going to be uh, fired up, and we are going to outvote them. We're going to get out there, and we're going to drag our friends to the polls with us, people who may or may not want to make the, uh, take the time or make the time. It's got to be done. It just has to be done. So it's Saturday, October 22nd at the IX Center. Get your tickets now for uh, uh, Officer Tatum, Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, Peter Kersenow, and myself. Get your tickets now at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. There's a limited time offer. General admission tickets are buy one, get one free. Use BOGO. BOGO, buy one, get one, at checkout when you do that. You can get a VIP ticket, you can get a general admission ticket, but get a ticket and make sure that you bring some friends. We're going to have a very, very good time, and we are going to fight and strategize together on how to win this thing. So I want to hit real quick, uh, going back to what I started out with in the monologue, I want to hit some of the, um, just the pure hypocrisy of it all. Leftists exploding after Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida sent illegal immigrants on two planes to Martha's Vineyard, to their elite little escape from it all. You know, their 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 little their little island, their little um, <clears throat> um, home away from you know the, the the great unwashed, the place where they can have their caviar and they can have their little yacht parties and they can have their little existence in which they're insulated from the real problems of the world. These usually far left demon rats on Martha's Vineyard now are going to feel what it's like to have their private space intruded upon by a bunch of illegal aliens who may or may not need every single one of their human needs met by them. The far left melted down, quoting the Daily Wire now, um, in response to the dropping off of illegals at Martha's Vineyard, the Massachusetts island, and home to wealthy progressives like, yes, former President Barack Obama. Yes, Governor DeSantis's office said in a statement, Florida can confirm that two planes with illegal immigrants that arrived in Martha's Vineyard today were part of the state's relocation program to transport illegal immigrants to sanctuary destinations. States like Massachusetts, New York, and California will better facilitate the care of these individuals who they have invited into our country by incentivizing illegal immigration through their, de- uh, th- uh, through their designation as sanctuary states and support for the Biden administration's open border policies. What a phenomenal statement made by the Biden, I mean, the uh, DeSantis uh, uh, office. 
As you may know, the official continued in the statement, in this past legislative session, the Florida legislature appropriated $12 million to implement a program to facilitate the transport of illegal immigrants from this state consistent with federal law. The leftist response? Fury and outrage and accusations of DeSantis being a Nazi. Wait, what? Former CNN reporter Jackie Schechner tweeted, The Nazis had a relocation program. DeSantis' communications director actually uses the words, the state's relocation program. Well, clearly that makes him a Nazi, right? Far-left activist Noah Berlatsky said that DeSantis lawfully sending the illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard was an ethnic cleansing program. Quote, seriously, this is an ethnic cleansing program. They are transporting people across borders without their consent based on race and ethnicity. This, of course, is a blatant lie because nobody is getting on these buses or these uh, airplanes without their own consent. They actually have to sign off on it. Far-left nutjob Seth Abramson said, Attention, FBI, investigate this man for human, <laughs> for human trafficking. Ron DeSantis now, getting these people to voluntarily get on board and go to sanctuary cities, is now being called human trafficking. DeSantis is engaging in human trafficking. This is how low they've sunk, celebrating a crime against humanity. (laughs) Um, Let me me, uh, hit you with something that's even... That's even better than calling him a Nazi and calling them a, uh, a human, calling a DeSantis a human trafficker. This part is even better. The fact that New York Mayor Eric Adams is screaming the very same type of language and declaring that New York City is, quote, near its breaking point, end quote, after receiving around 8,000 migrants so far being bussed from Texas and Arizona. 8,000 in a city that once was home to 7 million people. 7 million people in New York. Now that number has significantly dropped in recent years because, well, people can't stand to live in that, uh, in that cesspool of high crime, of no cash bail, of weak, pathetic prosecutors and weak, pathetic judges making victims even more terrified. As, as criminals are allowed to go free before their trials, as COVID restrictions, mask requirements, shot requirements continue to be among the most stringent in the country, people are fleeing New York. But somehow, 8,000 migrants puts the city at, quote, the breaking point. And the best part about this is what Mayor Adams is saying about New York not being able to handle 8,000 new people. The response came from Governor uh, Governor uh, uh, Greg Abbott's spokesperson down in Texas, Renee Easy, Renee or maybe Aze. Renee Aze said that Mayor Adams' complaint about New York being at the breaking point because of these people being bussed in broad daylight to the Big Apple is just a little bit hypocritical because quote. Mayor Adams complaining about a few thousand migrants being bussed into his self-declared sanctuary city, yet was silent as President Biden flew plane loads of migrants into New York in the cover of night. And let's just stop right there and recall the facts of this case, or of this situation. If you remember, 
Fox News got some tips from airport workers and others on the ground uh, in uh, various locations in Texas and got wind of them, rather than putting them in processing centers, got wind of, uh, of uh, Gover- or, uh, President Biden taking plane loads of these illegal aliens and flying them in literally the cover of night, you know, at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, where nobody is likely to be around, so that they can essentially hide the number of illegal aliens from the press's wandering eyes. So that they can, you know, so what are you talking about? We're not overwhelmed down here. They literally were flying them to New York, flying them all over the place, including to Northeast Ohio. This was going on, and once it was discovered by Fox, and we saw a video of these planes taking off in the dead of night, Biden was finally busted. But Eric Adams didn't say, hey, Biden, stop sending these people here. We're at the breaking point. He only says it now that Governor Greg Abbott is doing it in broad daylight to highlight how many illegal aliens are coming and crossing. Instead of complaining about over 2,400 migrants being bust into a city of over 18 million people, 18 million? Holy cow, were my numbers that far off? Uh, Maybe. I thought New York had around 7 million, but maybe they're talking about, I don't know, maybe it's about uh, the entire uh, New York metro area. But at any rate, Instead of complaining about over 2,400 migrants being bussed into a city of over 18 million, Mayor Adams should call on President Biden to do his job and secure the border, something the president continues failing to do. And if Mayor Adams wants to see what the breaking point actually looks like, Governor Abbott's invitation is still open for him to visit the border and the real border crisis firsthand. That, again, came from spokesperson Renee Aze, the spokesperson for Governor Greg Abbott, and I repeat... Can you dig it? The approximately 60 men reported on from Monday night arrived with a group of several hundred others and were provided shelter early in the next day as we immediately informed relevant stakeholders, said Adams. We will continue to work every day with those who want to partner on this vital work to provide these individuals with the shelter and services they so desperately need. If that's the case, then what are you complaining about? What are you complaining about? You want to be the welcoming sanctuary city, open arms, you know, give us your tired, your hungry, your poor. You want to be that, and yet when Greg Abbott sends them to you, you're screaming, we can't handle it. Same thing with Muriel Bowser. Leftists exploding at the idea of, of, uh, the busloads, the latest busloads from Texas also going to, um, Kamala Harris's doorstep. Literally taking them directly. Two migrant buses from Del Rio arrived near Kamala Harris's residence at the Naval Observatory in Washington Thursday morning. Oh, so this is literally overnight, just this today, this morning. Between 75 and 100 people were picked up in Eagle Pass, sent to um, Washington, D.C., uh, these multiple migrants asked by Fox News Digital on the scene why, uh, whether or not they think the border's open, contrary to what Harris said during an interview on Sunday. They agreed, yes, it is. We are illegally here, but we know that we're allowed to be because that's exactly what they've been watching. They're watching around the world. They know that the United States literally doesn't have a border, is now no longer a sovereign nation. It's open for anybody who wants to come. And then they will, of course, be deposited all around this country. 
The latest convoy of buses arrived just hours after DeSantis sent the planes to Martha's Vineyard. Now we've got this one to Kamala's doorstep. Marla Bustillos of Sanctuary, or Bustillos probably, of Sanctuary DMV, said that they were at Union Station since 6 o'clock in the morning and just heard 20 minutes ago the drop-off was this one. This one right outside of Kamala Harris's Washington, D.C. address. So, you know what, if you want them to deal, and, and I'll be truthful, it's working. None of these big city mayors, Bowser, Lightfoot, Adams, uh, uh, Kenny, uh, none of them have said word one to Kamala Harris about, you know, you really ought to do something about that border. The people down in Texas are being overwhelmed with migrants. They can't handle this kind of a crushing overload. They're at the breaking point. None of them have said any such thing. But now since they've started this policy or this process of delivering people at their own you know, choice, of their own choice, these migrants, to these blue cities, these sanctuary cities, now they're for the first time going there and talking to Kamala Harris and saying, you've got to stop this. Root cause my A, secure the border. Hey, Brandon, we get it. You're trying to be the anti-Trump. He built a wall. You built a, an open door. But you got to stop this. you gotta, you got to close the border. Look what it's doing to us. We can't handle this. It's working. For the first time, big city, blue city mayors are going to the federal government and saying, yeah, it was cute, but now this is killing us. Stop it. It's the only way you can deal with these people. So kudos. And another can you dig it to to, uh, Greg Abbott, to Doug Ducey, to Ron DeSantis, to their spokespersons. And as the previous caller said, now send them to the homes of the media. The media that says illegal immigration, is no, there's no such thing. No one is illegal. They're undocumented workers. They're people in search of a better life. They're people seeking sanctuary, which is U.S. law. Send them to those media members' homes. Very, very important. I'll be back. Take Bob on the go by downloading the WHK Radio app on the Google Play Store. Okay, 957. Uh, TJ has been waiting patiently through that uh, entire segment. Thanks for hanging in, TJ. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, uh, if DeSantis is guilty of human trafficking, wouldn't transporting a woman across state lines for abortion be considered human trafficking also? Um, If you're looking for consistency, yes, that would be the case. Yeah. But they don't look for consistency. They, they, you know, they would say, "Well, she's doing that because it's a personal health care decision she's making." Well, these people are getting on planes and buses, are making personal decisions to go wherever those buses are going. They're not being forced into doing it. So, yeah, for consistency's sake, you'd be right. Yeah. And and you know, I would like to send an email to DeSantis or Abbott. Boy, I'd like to see a few of them bus loads dropped off in front of Oberlin College. <laughs> or maybe Lakewood. You know, this this would be great. And you know, I wanna I wanna give kudos to our new mayor Bibb. I mean uh, uh you know, he finally got Cleveland in the top ten in a category. Uh-huh. The only thing is the category's not so good. I heard on the news the other day we are now considered the tenth most dangerous city in America. But it's not his fault because everybody knows it's these violent mega fascists that are committing all the violent crime in Cleveland. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's exactly what it is. All of those red hat wearers running around Cleveland killing and murdering and joining gangs and, and, uh, and robbing people and raping people. That's what it is. Yeah, they're the extremists. They're the biggest threat uh, to, to uh, peace and safety in the United States. Thank you, TJ. I appreciate it. Uh, I didn't see that designation, by the way, but that does not surprise me at all. The city of Cleveland is 300 police officers under budget, under budget. And Mayor Bibb is trying to tell everybody a complete fabrication. He's trying to tell everybody the crime is down in Cleveland. No, crime is as bad as it's ever been in Cleveland. And as long as they don't replace those police officers, it's only going to get worse. 959, we'll get news now. We'll come back on the other side. Our first guest of the morning is Jack Windsor. He's waiting in the wings. Stay here for us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, Not, uh, eight minutes rather, past 10 o'clock on this Thursday. It's the 15th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. If you're tuning in for our regular weekly visit with Dr. Everett Piper, he's got the day off today, uh, although it's not a day off for him. He's traveling. He's got a lot of work to do. But Dr. Piper uh, is out for the day, and it just kind of works out perfectly for us because yesterday we missed our session with uh, with Jack Windsor, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. So Jack Windsor was unavailable today. He is available, or excuse me, was unavailable yesterday. He is available today, so this works out perfectly for us. Let's welcome Jack back to our program. Mr. Windsor, good to have you back, sir. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's good to be here with you and, of course, uh, our listeners. Thanks for choosing me today. A lot of great work up on the Ohio Press Network website right now at ohiopressnetwork.com. I want to start with um, last week. Um, it's, it's not dated because it's an ongoing issue here. And of course, that's the fight for leadership and control of the Ohio Republican Party by way of the, the recent, uh, votes in the primary for the, uh, for the state central committee. So the new committee is, is being seated or has been seated, if you will. Uh, membership is ready to vote, or at least they were last week ready to vote for the new leadership of the party or maybe to keep the current leadership. Who knows? But as you and I discussed last week, Bob Paduchik was going to do everything he could to stop that vote from happening. And as it turns out, he prevailed. So you've got a great piece now analyzing this. Tell us more. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, it can get uh, pretty deep inside baseball. I think uh, there are some key points. Number one, uh, Bob Paduchik did try to defer the vote until January. Uh, It appears that the campaign they used in order uh, to make that happen was this idea that we are so close to a primary election, or excuse me, a general election in November, and that there are some big implications. We have a U.S. Senate seat um, that's going to be decided between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan, and then, of course, we have uh, our state Supreme Court, which conservatives controlled not long ago, uh, six to one, and really is being, um, there's a threat that uh, conservatives could be in the minority uh, three to four if things don't go well. 
in November. So uh, the the message was, look, we don't want to rock the boat. Um, we don't want to uh, install new leaders and disrupt any good that the Ohio Republican Party is doing to help uh, J.D. Vance and, you know, the justices and, of course, uh, state senators and state representatives across the state. So that messaging worked. And my understanding is before the meeting, uh, we'll call the reformers, realized they were about seven to ten votes shy of um, wrestling the agenda from Paducic and holding votes uh, or holding a vote for a new chairman, secretary, and on down the line. Um, so kudos to Bob, uh, Bob Paducic for uh, creating a, you know, a meaningful and effective uh, messaging campaign uh, because it worked. Yeah, I'm going to stop short of kudos uh, for, to somebody for using mafioso thug-like tactics because that's exactly what he does, and it's exactly what he's done mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, the guy the guy has just played games of corruption, in my opinion, for the years that he has been uh, in charge of the ORP. Uh, continuing, I don't want to rehash it all, but you know, refusing to call for the required bylaw by the bylaws annual audits of the money, uh, trying to strong arm people out of primary race, races to challenge incumbents that are loyal to him. Uh, we, we've covered it all, giving giving uh, millions of dollars in campaign contributions to Mike DeWine without ever having a an endorsement vote uh, from the ORP or before having the endorsement vote. You know, kicking media members that aren't going to kiss his rear to the curb and not allowing them to cover them. I mean, all of these things that Bob Paducic has done is bad for the party. It's bad for Ohio Republicans. It's bad for Ohioans. So I'm not going to give him credit for playing the, you know, we're so close to the election now, we shouldn't rock the boat. Rock away. As far as I'm concerned, getting rid of bad leadership could only help in the last 50 days before the election. It could only help the Republican candidates to actually have true leadership at the head of the Ohio Republican Party. So all he's done, Jack, in my view, is buy three and a half months to try to twist arms and try to stop some of those quote-unquote reformers from turning against him so that he can actually win uh, re-election as the ORP chair in, in January. Uh, I'm, I'm over here chuckling, Bob. I probably should have qualified <laughs> that statement by saying, hey, this is tongue-in-cheek. Uh, your point is very well taken. Um, and I think you had Jessica Franz on, on your show uh, yeah. earlier in the week. And I had a good conversation with her, and I think she really is um, a good indication of how some of these newly elected folks are thinking and feeling about this issue. And I don't think that Bob's out of the woods. I don't think that um, the vote not happening is necessarily a vote of confidence in Bob Paducic, I also believe that um, there were some questions about, well, who's next in line and do we like the choices? And uh, I don't think that all of those pieces were put together. So um, I, I think that might be uh, a significant issue. And, and I would agree with you that he has some months now uh, to try to politic and uh, you know, get himself back into that seat. Well, and, you know, that's what he's good at. You know, I mean, you know, this is... This is just playing right into this guy's hands, as far as I'm concerned. It's not his first rodeo. He knows how to wield power, and he knows how to twist arms. He knows how to use, you know, force. Uh, you know, that's the reason he was able. Anybody who disagreed with him who was on uh, significant committees within the ORP were booted from them, uh, you know, at Bob Paducic's whim. So um, and anybody who, who dares cross him is in trouble, and he's got three and a half months to try to convince people of the same. And uh, and I think that's just a, a terrible thing. Now, b- before we move on to the next issue, which is Title IX, and there's a great, great piece that you have in the Ohio Press Network about Title IX, and uh, I've got Brendan Shea 
today, by the way, coming on at 1110 to talk about his resolution opposing the changes to Title IX here in the state of Ohio. Um, let's look at this um, Republican Party fight for control from the other side. You also have a, cr- a piece in here by Chris Hicks, who called this a clown show. The state central com- committee uh, meeting, uh, the clown show that ma- that uh, uh, didn't that need not have been. Uh, very very critical of the reformers. I think is 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 basically the takeaway that I had from this. Uh, and there have been others who have been very critical as well, who said that the GOP is is only hurting itself by going after its leadership right now. Um, any any uh, opinions or thoughts on that, Jack Windsor? Yeah, so uh, I think one of the things that we're working hard to do with the Ohio Press Network is to to give life to some of the opinions um, that may not always be in the majority uh, so that people can think through those things and go through that exercise of putting someone else's shoes on their feet. And this is one of those exercises. Um, I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with Chris's position um, that it was a clown show. I One of the things that was cited was uh, I believe it was Shannon Burns who uh, attempted, uh, once they realized that the agenda uh, wasn't going to be switched, I think Shannon attempted to um, stop the meeting and and get back together in January. And um, although that was heavily criticized, looking at it from their vantage point, um, I think uh, going back to Jessica Franz again, I hate to you know keep picking on her um, or just using her for an example, but uh, she said something along the lines of, look, I don't think that we're following the law here. I don't think that we're following the Ohio Revised Code. I don't think that we are um, honoring our bylaws. And I literally just was sworn in a few minutes ago and promised to follow the state and United States Constitution and our bylaws. So it's hard for me to reconcile that. Why did you put us in this situation, Bob? And I think that's the question that probably needs to be asked. Um, look, Bob Paduchek knew he was in trouble. Uh, Dave Johnson knew he was in trouble. Otherwise, why the why the email that was a hit piece that, that came out? Why... Um, did Dave Johnson write a really long-winded email that talked about how dangerous it would be to swap party leadership? These guys are on the ropes, and they knew it. And so, you know, it begs the question, like, if there are people who legitimately felt like they needed to vote on Friday or they were dishonoring their bylaws and, in turn, dishonoring the people who elected them, then why even have the meeting? Why not have it until January? And so I appreciate where Chris is coming from. I think it's probably a little bit of frustration because there are a lot of people who want to see meaningful change in the party. Um, and then I'll finish with this, Bob. But if you if you read the tea leaves and you look at what really happened Friday, uh, and, and I covered this a little bit in my piece, uh, some of the things that the party reformers were trying to do, <laughs> Bob Paduchek started doing. So sometimes we get this impression that, politicians are going to crumble and cry and take responsibility if they went in the wrong direction. That's not how it happens. They just do things differently. So I think some of the stuff that the reformers have worked hard uh, to do in the party, Bob's actually saying he's going to do it. Um, And so if he doesn't do it, he's really on the hot seat now because he made some uh, promises Friday that things were going to change. We're talking to Jack Windsor, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. Jack, let's talk about uh, Title IX. Now, this is such a big deal in the state of Ohio. I mentioned we're going to have Brendan Sheehan, who's got a resolution. He's on the Ohio State Board of Education. He's got a resolution that he's going to be pushing that is already getting significant pushback from the LGBTQ community. You have a piece running now uh, by Lisa Logan, uh, headline, Title None, 
No protections for girls and women as the White House plays word games in Title IX. Uh, this is a very comprehensive piece. It covers, uh, I think, everything from stem to stern. Uh, but let's talk about it specifically in the state of Ohio. What would the changes, as you understand them, to Title IX do to the protections that women and girls have enjoyed in the last 50 years? What it would do is it would um, create a new protected class, and that new protected class would include uh, gender identity and sexual orientation. And so what that means is that men who identify as women uh, can take spots on teams that were otherwise women's spots. Um, it, I think, puts women and girls in a risky physical situation uh, competing against boys, particularly at the, at the upper levels, right? I mean, girls generally tend to advance faster when they're younger, but boys eventually, you know, the lines cross, boys catch up and then there's no looking back. So it puts them in a, in a pickle, um, with scholarships, with spots on teams. Um, and, you know, the other part that I think a lot of parents are really upset about is this whole privacy issue. And, uh, you know, you can look at, Leah Thomas, right, uh, the the swimmer uh, who is a biological man who won an NCAA championship competing as a woman. And um, think about what those women on that team had to see. They had to see him in the locker room with his penis. And, you know, that translates to K-12 through education institutions in Ohio. The same scenario will play out. Uh, traditional safeguards for the dignity of females, they'll disappear and girls will be required to share intimate spaces with male-bodied students, uh, even adult trans-identified men in some instances. Um, so those are the two big issues. Uh, I would say that the third issue uh, that's super significant is this whole issue of parents' rights and how now um, schools are basically saying, hey, if a student expresses an interest in, in transitioning, we're going to keep that information from the parents because, you know, the parents may – may not be safe enough. They may not be safe enough for the kids to have that conversation, and it might be a threat to the uh, you know, physical or emotional well-being of the child, which is ludicrous, by the way. Yeah, that, that was a big uh, subject on Tuesday night at the board meeting in Mentor. Uh, as Mentor schools basically had a, a letter sent from the superintendent or the assistant superintendent, depending on who you ask, to the other teachers saying, don't tell parents if your students come to you and say things like this. Or, moreover, and more likely, because we've seen this in countless examples, uh, across you know TikTok, for example, if you have successfully told your students to become something other than what they really are, don't tell anybody because um, the parents don't have a right to know. So that is a big deal, and I'm glad. You, excuse me, I'm glad you brought up brought up the part about safe spaces um, when it comes to uh, intimate, uh, you know, settings such as locker rooms and showers, literal showers, uh, males and females showering together. Um, it, it, that is as big, if if not bigger, than the sports competitive aspect of this as well. And the reason why is, if they do indeed um, make these amendments to Title IX and they take into account sexual orientation and, quote, gender identity, they have to take in all of the gender identities, not just boys who think they're girls, but non In other words, when this whole trans movement really started, the belief was, hey, if somebody is really, truly so convinced that they're a female and they're a male, that they're wearing dresses and wearing undergarments and wearing makeup and, ch- and changing their hair and growing out and, and, and doing all of these kinds of things, you kind of have to believe them. They're not going to be a threat. But, Jack, as you know, 
male to female or female to male, quote unquote, transitioning is not the only gender identity or gender expression. You have to then give the same protections to, quote, non-binary. And if you're non-binary, you don't have to dress like that. You can just be a horny teenage boy and say, I'm half boy and half girl. Just depends on how I feel that day and have to be given access to the same facilities as the girls. And this just creates, we've already seen examples of sexual assaults in in locker rooms and bathrooms down in Loudoun County, Virginia, from these people. You give boys the green light to say, I am non-binary. Do not try to qualify me or quantify me as being male or female. I'm both. Some days I'm neither, and I'll go where I want. You have to respect that. That's the Pandora's box or the slippery slope. Pick your metaphor there or pick your example that, uh, that we have here. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, the people who are going to oppose the opposition to Title IX or uh, oppose Mr. Shea's resolution at the state board level are going to say something like, look, um, you know, they're using statistics and facts that aren't really factual. And, and, you know, they're giving you statistics that aren't real. Well, my understanding is that, um, you know, one in four women has either uh, been raped or rape has been attempted. Um, one in three have had some sort of, you know, public um, instance where a, a male was being inappropriate. So by and large, it is it is males who perpetrate these acts. That's a fact. And what you just stated, it creates um, opportunity. And oftentimes, um, my understanding, after doing some of the reading and talking with the, some attorneys, you know, it, these crimes are sometimes crimes of opportunity. The, the opportunity presents itself, and you've got a horny teenage male who might take advantage of that. Um, as as the father of a daughter, um, that's unnerving to me. The other yeah. argument that we're going to get, and I want to hit this, is that um, you know the suicide and, and mental uh, illness that is present in uh, trans teens. But I think the bigger issue we have to wrestle with is creating the illusion that parents don't have their child's best interest in mind and ignoring how deeply destabilizing this is for children and how deeply destabilizing it is for a kid who maybe is a conservative who believes that men have a penis and women have a vagina, that um, they're somehow backwards. Um, Let's talk about depression, anxiety, and emotional illness. I don't know of a bigger catalyst than those two things. And so, um, you know, we're kind of cutting off our nose to spite our face, I think, uh, in this instance. Well, that's not what they're cutting off. Uh, they're cutting off other things, and that's a problem, and they're being convinced to do so uh, at a time when they're completely intellectually in their formative stages, and they are not capable of making these, these decisions. And by the way, I don't think you have to be a conservative to believe that boys have penises and girls have vaginas. You have to be a functional, thinking human being to actually look at and understand what biological sex is. It's not a conservative position. That's a scientific position, and that's exactly what Brendan Shea, I think, is going to uh, um uh, amplify uh, with his resolution in the State Board of Education, because that's exactly what they're supposed to be doing, is educating. It's not the State Board of Indoctrination. It's not the st- State Board of LGBTQ allyship. It's educating, and what they're doing here is not that. And it's putting people like your daughter at, at risk, and uh, I completely concur with you. Jack Windsor, uh, Ohio Press Network, terrific stuff as always, my friend. Keep up the good work, and oh, I forgot. I'm going to see you tonight, right? We're on stage together. We're on stage at the, uh, the Thirsty Cowboy, right? That's right. The Ohio Conservative Forum uh, tonight, uh, 7 o'clock, the forum begins at the Thirsty Cowboy. Uh, I'll be there along with Jack Windsor, Mike Gibbons, Chris Dorr, Scott Wiggum, Jennifer Gross, Greg Lawson, John Morrow, Diane Stover, J.C. Church, Shannon Byrne, Stephanie Stock, and 
uh, all moderated by the uh, chairman of the American Greatness Pack, which is Jim Renacci. So, uh, Jack Windsor, I look forward to seeing you tonight. It's going to be a great event. I'll see you tonight, brother. Thanks for having me. You got it. Thank you, Jack. We'll be back after this. Always right radio. Two plus two don't equal transgender. It equals four. The answer. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. That's the, uh... (laughs) Brendan Shays. I'm looking at Brendan Shays' um, resolution for the Ohio Board of Education. And it's three pages long. And uh, I have no doubt that all of the specific details listed in the resolution to uh, oppose the Title IX changes that are being pushed by the, uh, the Biden administration, I'm, I have no doubt the details are all needed. But he could have saved himself an awful lot of work if he had just quoted Pastor Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor of the state of North Carolina. He could have just, the state board of education hereby adopts the following resolution. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. That's all he had to do. That's it right there. Let's just boil it down. Nutshell version. There it is. Uh, or thumbnail version, whatever. Pick your little uh, example. Jim Renacci is the uh, chairman of the American Greatness Pack. He is holding a great event tonight, the Ohio Conservative Forum. It's in Medina at the Thirsty Cowboy. How do I know it's going to be a great event? Well, because I'm going to be a part of it. That's how. I kid you, I kid you, I kid you, I kid you. I'm very, very honored and humbled to be asked to be a part of this uh, uh, event tonight. And we're going to talk to Jim Renacci about it coming up next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. The sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob Prance and the answer. Okay, that wasn't planned, by the way, to have that uh, promo run right before Jim Renacci comes on. It just worked out that way. We were trying to actually get Jim Renacci for earlier in the program. Uh, so it just worked out this way that yes, we are talking about the uh, Ohio Conservative Forum. It is tonight. It is in Medina. It is at the Thirsty Cowboy. And yes, Jim Renacci will be the moderator as he is the chairman of the American Greatness Pack. He joins us now on AM 1420 The Answer. Good morning, uh, Congressman. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Doing great. How are you? I'm terrific. Uh, thanks very much. I'm so looking forward tonight. This is a hell of a lineup that you guys put together. I mean, you have so many different elements of, you know, conservative Ohio, uh, Ohioans, uh, covered here, you know, from media members to gun rights people to actual elected officials, um, you know, to, uh, 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 parents' rights advocates and faith leaders. I mean, you guys got the whole thing covered. Well, and that's the goal. You know, Bob, uh, with conservatives, and we see it all the time, they don't know how to unite. They don't know how to come together. Uh, the establishment realizes that, so the establishment always takes advantage of the situation. And my goal with this forum, and we're not only going to have it here, we're going to do it in Cincinnati, Columbus, and a few other places around the state, is to bring conservatives together, and hopefully when we're done, my goal tonight 
is to talk about how do we unify. Now, I'm going to ask some tough questions as a moderator, mm-hmm. you know, because I want us to answer those tough questions. And you're right, we've got some key people there like yourself. I want to thank you for being there. But that's the goal. How do conservatives unite? What, what's interesting, Bob, is for the last two weeks, I've had phone calls from establishment people saying, shame on you, you know, you're trying to pull these people together. And, and so often... The establishment doesn't want to listen to the conservative side, and I think it's important. Hopefully, we can gain some ground tonight. Well, uh, first of all, as far as your tough questions go, I guess uh, turnabout is fair play. I've been asking you tough questions for about eight years, ever since I came to uh, to WHK, and you were in Congress, and then as a candidate, and I've always asked you the tough questions. You know that respectfully, uh, but but tough, you know, a lot of them. So I, I hope you do. I hope you give them to me, and I hope you give them to everybody on that stage so that we can address the tough issues. The one thing that, um, you know, I think most conservatives would agree with in this state is that this state is not conservative enough we have a lot of republicans we have a super majority in the you know in the uh, general assembly we have all of you know and the governor is republican even though he may not necessarily be conservative you got yeah all of these republicans and there's such an opportunity to so many great things um for the people of the state of ohio and yet they're they're just not able like you said to kind of come together, unify, pool their resources, and really use the power that they have. I don't know that conservatives understand they have more power uh, than they realize in this state uh, to to do the things that the rhino Republicans, the establishment Republicans, whatever it is you want to call the mainstream Republicans that aren't getting it done, we have far more power than they do, and we just don't know how to use it. Well, that's it. We don't know how to come together, and what we find is too often we we support somebody because we like them, they're unique, you know, they shook our hand, we met with them. Um, you know, one of the gentlemen on the panel uh, tonight, I've asked him to come. He was a supporter of one of the, you know, he was a supporter of Joe Blystown, I'll admit it, and he wouldn't even let me come to any of his events in Canton. Be- and, and I want to talk about those things. How do we, you know, once you grab onto a horse... Sometimes you have to jump off if the horse can't win the race. And I think those are the kind of things we need to just talk about, look at, and decide. I understand it's hard to jump off a horse once you've jumped on one, but um, conservatives too often make decisions without looking at all the details. And those are the questions I want to ask. How do we, how do we get better at this? How do we unify? How do we come together? I mean, I'm going to give you, that's going to be my first question to all of you. What, what In 30 seconds, tell me how you think we should come together. How can we come together? It's important because we will continue to lose as a conservative base if we don't start to work together. So um, I am hoping we come out of tonight with some answers, um, and we'll see. And I hope you, you contribute to that by yeah. you know, giving us some direction as well. Yeah, um, I, I will certainly do my best to contribute to that that question and 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 as many answers as I, as I can come up with to the other questions. But just to kind of kick it around right now, I, I think the the ultimate word um, that 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 most of us have to have to really uh, you know use and understand here is prioritization. The the reason we can't come together is everybody seems to have different priorities, and at some point. Everybody, and again, it's more the people who are in power, meaning elected officials and and others who advise them. But um, 
they have to be willing to set certain priorities aside and, quite frankly, to set certain self-preservation uh, types of mindset. They have to, they have to get out of those because I think too often, you know, and, and you're a politician, you've run, you've won, you know what this is about, but I, I think for too many people, particularly in the state of Ohio and particularly in the General Assembly, I think too many of them are worried about their next election. They're worried about the next vote. They're worried about the next time they have to face the constituents. And so they're not going to do anything that might be questionable in terms of the, you know, the, the loyalty that they'll have from their voters. And so as such, they, they will prioritize their own uh, personal self-gain over what is best for the state, over what is best for the people over what is best for Republicans as members of the Ohio Republican Party. And so I think prioritization is the key here. Do you prioritize yourself, or do you prioritize the people and what's best for the state? That's, I think that's the biggest issue as far as I'm concerned, for now. Well, and look, I would agree with you. Too often people are worried about that, their next election. I mean, one thing for certain, and, and I was on that side when you questioned me the tough times, I never was afraid to answer them. And we have disagreed, but I gave you my reasons for my votes, um, and, uh, look, I was able to always secure a reelection because sometimes I had to vote, um, more for the district, the people that elected me, but I never gave up my principles and values, never gave up my votes for second amendment, my, uh, pro-life, all of those things. I, you know, there is a basic set of values that I believe Republicans should always, you know, follow. And if we don't follow those, then I'm not sure we're Republicans. And uh, I don't think you could ever find a vote that I took that would take me away from my basic values. And I think that is important. Too often, but I didn't care about losing. That's the other thing. Too often people want to just get reelected. And you know what? I knew that I could be just as well off outside and maybe even make a difference outside. It's, it's also interesting. Um, just yesterday, somebody was mad at me because I ran against Mike DeWine, even though they were a big supporter of mine prior to that. And, I, and, I, and they said, we should not be running against Republicans. And I said, wow. I said, that that I just 100% disagree with. I think primaries are the best place to make a difference. And I think if the voters, and, and we're going to talk about this tonight too, but mm-hmm. look, uh, 56% of the people that voted in the Republican primary this last primary were not Republicans. They were independents and Democrats. So that's another thing that hurts conservatives. And I wanted to ask the, that question tonight. How do we fix that? Because conservatives actually lose ground when you have an open primary. So it's something we have to fix and talk about as well. We're talking to Jim Renacci. Jim Renacci is the chairman of the uh, American Greatness PAC. The Ohio Conservative Forum is tonight. You know, Les, I don't want to beat this into the ground, but... <clears throat> First of all, the idea that you shouldn't run, that nobody should primary an incumbent because the incumbent happens to be in the same party is just ludicrous, especially if that particular incumbent is governing in this case or is you know serving in this case as a member of the other party because everything that I saw Mike DeWine do, particularly in response in the last two and a half years to COVID, Congressman, was the exact same thing that I saw Andrew Cuomo do, and Gretchen Whitmer do, and Kate Brown do, and J.B. Pritzker do, and every other left-wing governor in in the country. Uh, they put their, they held their people captive. Uh, they they put extraordinary pressure on people to get vaccines, calling them the ticket to freedom. You want your schools unlocked and have people coming back? Get shots. You want to go back to work and have your business declared open again? Get shots. Wear masks. Medical freedom matters to me. 
And, and this is one of the things I was talking about. Too many members of the Ohio Republican Party in the General Assembly said they would not vote to override uh, a DeWine veto if they pass some sort of medical freedom bill. Uh, you know, they said, oh, he's gonna, only going to veto. We have a veto-proof majority, but too many of them were concerned about how that was going to play among the sheep who had been told by the CDC and the Ohio Department of Health and Amy Act and everybody else to be terrified and they were, rather than doing what's right for people, what's right for schools, students, businesses, and so forth, they did what was right for themselves. If that guy's going to run his state that way, you damn well, I, right, I want somebody to primary him. And I wanted somebody like you to primary him and win. Because if you're going to govern like a Democrat, why the hell are you even bothering to wear the R after your name? Well, 100% agree with you. I, I've said this all along. You know, people still complain uh, that, that Jim Renese hasn't come out and just been 100% supportive of Governor DeWine since he won the primary. And, look, I tell people, you have to vote your own conscience. You have to make your own vote. In the end, for me, there are so many things that Governor DeWine did that I, I just I can never forgive him for. And, uh, Same but, here. you know, pe- people will have to make their their vote um, and somebody will say, look, I would never vote, never vote for the Democrat. But that's one of the things we got to talk about as well. Sometimes, um, do you leave it blank? Uh, I, I don't know. You, you have to make that decision as a voter if both choices are bad. We're, we're, I do not believe um, it's a binary choice anymore. Because if you have two bad candidates, um, then I at least know 20 years from now, I can look my grandson and granddaughter in the eye and say, I didn't vote for that person. Um, and, and that goes through all, you know, whether it's governor, whether it's senator, whether it's your, your local uh, city council person, your mayors, every one of them. I mean, some people wear the R Republican uh, brand, but they're not Republicans. And, you know, people say, well, it's better than a Democrat. Well, again, those are the decisions voters have to make. Those are the discussions, some of the discussion points I want to talk well, about tonight. Well, you know what, and I'm, and I'm glad we are going to talk about those, but I'll just point to this, um, you know, going back to what I was just saying about medical freedom and so forth. Um, I've heard from multiple people in Columbus that, that there are a great many Republicans in the General Assembly who said that if we had had a Democrat governor and that Democrat governor was doing the exact same things that Mike DeWine was doing, we would have all co-sponsored legislation to stop it. And if they vetoed it, that Democratic governor, that fictional Democratic governor, whether it was Cordray or anybody, we would have overridden that veto. They would have had no problem doing it, but they didn't want to do it to a member of their own party, to a Republican governor. Because, again, how will that look to my constituents and will that cost me my next election? That's the kind of cowardice that I cannot stand. That's the kind of cowardice that is in the state house. That's the kind of cowardice that's in the state senate. It's the kind of cowardice, quite frankly, that's still in the leadership positions of the Ohio Republican Party uh, as a whole, from Paducek on down. Which is he continues to play his ridiculous game, uh, dragging this uh, new leadership thing out into uh, into January. So that's what I, I'm talking about. I'm not going to vote for the Democrat either. But I'll tell you what, if a Democrat had been in charge, in charge, the Republicans in the Ohio legislature would have acted like Republicans, and they would have pushed back against that Democrat, and maybe things wouldn't have been quite as bad as they were in the state. Well, I 100% agree, and that's why we have to unify. We have to talk about that. Tonight's forum is about that. I want to travel the state, talk to conservatives, bring all of them into the tent. I mean, uh, I have, I've been criticized for trying to do this. 
I've been told by some establishment people that far right flank needs to just go away. Well, guess what? That far right flank is going to continue to grow and grow and grow, and that's fine. I think in the end, Republicans have to realize that Republicans want Republican values and principles, and tonight we got to talk about how we unify, how we come together, how we realize that if we do, we can change things. If we stay separate and go our different ways because of, well, I can't vote for this person because he wore a mask. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Um, but, you know, everybody, I guarantee everybody probably on stage tonight had to wear a mask for a reason, uh, whether it was flying in, a, in an airplane or whatever, going into their doctor's office. But just because you wore a mask, you can't vote for somebody. We've got to talk about that. We've got no, to that's unify just silly. around. That's just silly. The, the thing is, did that person have a choice to wear a mask? And if they had a choice to wear a mask and chose to wear a mask, good on you. Just don't force me to. I have a choice, too. That's all most of right. us you know, ever wanted was just the choice you know, to decide whether or not we wanted to wear these things, whether we believed in their efficacy, whether we believed in the shots or anything else. Nobody is saying you can't wear something or do something if it makes you feel better, but don't force it upon me. That's what conservatism is. It's about freedom. Absolutely. And I've told people that when, when, when we talk about a rhino, a rhino is a guy who, who looks at the person who's wearing a mask because they have to wear a mask and says, shame on you. Um, I, I had in another forum somebody tell me, Renee, you should have never got on that plane. You should have bought a plane and flew on your own. And I looked at the guy and said, are you kidding me? What kind of a comment is that? But this is the kind of stuff we got to talk through. I mean, we do have to talk through. I'm not going to go to Florida on business. I'm not going to drive 16 hours for a one-hour meeting, uh, is what I told this gentleman. So these are the issues we have to talk about. We have to be able to work through. We have to be able to unify. We can do it if we open up the dialogue tonight, what I'm hoping we can do at the Thursday Cowboy. Let's open up that dialogue, and let's continue to open it up and talk about ways we can unify, come together, and be part of the solution. Well, let's just hope that we're all safe in there tonight because I don't know if Tim Ryan's coming for us. He said he said the extreme, conservative extremists have to be killed and confronted uh, in that order, by the way. Uh, so the conservative extremist movement, as he calls it, needs to be killed and confronted. So I think there's going to be a whole lot of people in that, uh, uh, in that event tonight that... Uh, uh, that go that would that would probably be defined by that. We are conservatives. They think it's extreme to believe in freedom. They think it's extreme to believe in pro-life causes. They think it's extreme to support parents' rights when it comes to education. Uh, if that's what an extremist is, then I'm ex- I'm an extremist. And Tim Ryan, bring it on. Well, I will also add, and and this won't be discussed tonight, but you're going to hear uh, us talking in our in the American Greatness Pack about Prop One out in California. Um, we're going to try and stop that. You can't, I mean, abortion up to the day of birth. Think about that. If that's extremist because I'm going to fight abortion up to the day of birth, I'm going to continue to fight it. And those are the kind of things that conservatives stand for and we need to continue to stand for. The Conservative Forum, the Ohio Conservative Forum, the first of <clears throat> several that uh, Congressman Jim Renacci, the chairman of the Ohio, or excuse me, the American Greatness Pack, is going to be holding throughout the state. It's tonight in Medina at the Thirsty Cowboy. Tickets still available, right? Uh, can people get them if they go to oh, the yeah. American Greatness Pack uh, website? Absolutely. There's still tickets available. We, we, we look to have almost 200 people there tonight, and we're going to continue to build these out and hope, uh, hope we get a lot of good discussion tonight. AmericanGreatnessPack.com. That's where you find these tickets. You'll see myself, Jack Windsor, Mike Gibbons, former Senate candidate, uh, Chris Dorr, Scott Wiggum, Jennifer Gross, Greg Lawson, 
uh, John Morrow, Diane Stover, J.C. Church, Shannon Byrne, Stephanie Stock, all will be on stage as a part of this forum moderated by Jim Renacci himself. Congressman Renacci, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for including me in this tonight. I very much am looking forward to it, and we'll see you then. Thank you. You have a great day. You do the same. 10.55, we'll take a time out here. We're going to take this up to our news break because I want to clear enough space on the other side for a very in-depth discussion that's a very important discussion with a member of the Ohio Board of Education. We're going to talk to Brendan Shea about his resolution to push back against the Title IX reforms being pushed by Biden and the federal government, trying to save and protect the protections. It sounds redundant, but it's not to protect the protections that were made when Title IX was uh, was first implemented 50 years ago in 1972. Those protections are in serious jeopardy now for girls. And uh, we're going to talk about it with uh, Brendan Shea of the Ohio Department of Education, or excuse me, Board of Education. That will be coming up after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Friends on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three has commenced. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. It's a Thursday, the 15th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Remember Remember that old Whitney Houston song? I believe that children are our future. Wasn't it hers? No, that was Dionne Warwick. Beg your pardon. Beg your pardon. I think it was Dionne Warwick. But I believe that children are our future, and it's so true. Um, Is there anything more important in our time right now than preparing our children to lead into the future? Is there anything more important than making sure our children are raised with the values that we hold dear, that we as parents and that we as um, liberty-loving, patriotic people uh, believe uh, believe in isn't it important for us to make sure that our children have the same opportunities that we had growing up. So many of these opportunities are being stripped away. So many of the protections that we as children grew up with are in serious jeopardy right now. And of course, I'm talking about this massive assault by academia on parents' rights and on children. And their ability to learn and be educated without fear of indoctrination or grooming into alternative lifestyles. Is there anything as important as this? I mean, I talk about certain things. I say, you know, free speech is the defining issue of our time. And it kind of is. 
But I think this is tied very closely to that. This is part of the defining issue of our time, the way we treat our children and the things that we allow to be done to our children in the name of quote-unquote education without parents having a role or a say, much less being what they should be considered, and that is the bosses. I had a conversation with somebody about this a couple of days ago. I truly believe that in the parent-school dynamic, the parent-teacher relationship, one is the boss, one is the employee. And guess who gets boss status? The parent that is tasked with raising that child in a happy and healthy way to make them productive and successful members of society, not the teachers whose only role is to provide the formal education part. They don't get to decide the values. They don't get to decide. Um, the protections uh, that uh, that our children deserve. We get to make those decisions. But that is under assault right now. The Biden administration, as you know, has proposed significant changes to Title IX. Title IX was the 1972 act that provided protections for girls and women in sports and in equal opportunities all throughout their educational careers, equal opportunities to the males. It has been extraordinarily successful, and now girls are in serious jeopardy of losing those protections because of the proposed changes to Title IX that would um, essentially erase them as, as, uh, as living sentient beings. It would erase girls. Girls and women will no longer be things. It would be simply a mental feeling or a mental construct. If you feel like a girl, you are a girl, and therefore the protections for girls is out the window. So who's pushing back against this in this ultra-important issue in our, in our lifetime? Who's, who's pushing back? One person is a member of the Ohio State Board of Education who has introduced a resolution, an extraordinarily important one, that is rattling, and I mean to their core, the LGBTQ plus activists who are att- attempting to wipe out girls' protections and wipe out women's protections uh, by way of uh, these Title IX changes. Brendan Shea is a member of the Ohio State Board of Education. This resolution is extraordinarily important. He joins us now to discuss it and hopefully generate some support in the community for it. Um, Mr. Shea, it's good to have you on the program this morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So I've read your resolution three times, uh, and I've looked at all of the clauses, and I've looked at all of the uh, uh, you know the important information, and I and I'm just... I'm flabbergasted that anybody can look at this and say, I disagree with that, I disagree with that, I disagree with that. You are starting from a biological, scientifically provable position, one that says there are boys and there are girls. There are males and there are females. They are identifiable by their chromosomes. They are identifiable by their reproductive systems. This is an immutable fact. If if we cannot get everyone to agree on that immutable fact, I guess that's the reason we have the other two and a half pages of your of your resolution. How and why, Brendan, can we not just start from that position of accepted scientific fact? I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And you know, people have asked me, even people who support the idea, you know, you make some pretty bold claims right in the preamble to this resolution, which. It's quite funny because you know to call the claim about biological sex bold, but I guess I guess it is in today's day and age. But I think it needs to be said while it can still be said. I think today the majority, the vast majority of the public, is on our side with this. If this continues much much further, we've seen things happen in the past 
then someday, whether it's three years from now, five years from now, the majority won't be on our side. They won't be able to say, yeah, I, I understand biological sex, male and female. They won't be able to say that. But today, hopefully the majority of people can read this and actually laugh before they cry. So I think it needs to be said. I have to say, Bob, that I think if we get to a place where we cannot affirm basic biology, that is the first nail in the coffin of education. Because education, it's premised on the idea that there are things we can know. There are certain truths, and that's why you get educated, right, to pursue knowledge, to pursue truth. And if that goes out the window, then the only thing left, you talk about indoctrination all the time, that would be the only thing left, training up our children in the, the latest fads, the latest trends, the latest politically correct thinking, what to post on your, on your social profile, right, your social media profile. That would be all we have left. So we have to fight for that first and foremost. Very well said. Uh, and for those who want, I, I was going to read this third graph of your resolution because uh, this is what you described, or you said others have described as a described as a bold claim from the start. Quote: Sex is not arbitrarily assigned at birth, but rather identifies as unchangeable fact. There are observable, quantifiable, and immutable differences between males and females. The reality of biological sex can no more be altered than can the reality that two plus two equals four. Boy, that's a bold claim that that, that's, that, that sex is an, is an unchangeable fact. And, of course, they say that tongue-in-cheek because these people are, are, are lunatics, and they have an agenda that goes beyond education and that goes beyond science. Um, let me ask you this. Um, what has Title IX meant to females in academia, in, in, in K-12 through education, or even K-12 through the university uh, uh, level as well in, in the last 50 years? What has this meant to them? Oh, I mean, I think it's it's meant so much. I mean, what it's done for protections for women's rights uh, for for women and girls, uh, the amount of progress that's been made. Right, the other side calls themselves progressives, talks about progress, uh, but this would upend all of that. This would completely gut any meaning of the original of the original law. I mean, to say that now anyone who claims uh, that their girl is a girl, uh, it would render the original law completely null and void. Uh, and I don't know if they realize, I don't know if they're smart enough to realize they're doing that or not, but that's, that's, what, they'd be, that's what they'd be doing. You know, um, it, it goes so much further than this, um, because I want to talk about the physical protections of girls uh, from having to compete in athletic competitions against males, biological males. Um, but there's an emotional part of this, too. Isn't, isn't this attempt to declare gender identity the equivalent of sex isn't it pretty much just an attack on the existence of womanhood? I, I kind of described that in, the, in my introduction to you, and I was just riffing there, going off the top of my head about how to describe this. But it, it almost tells girls you're not real. You're 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 not an actual um, construct. Uh, you know, a physically, physio physiologically, chromosomally, biologically provable construct. You are just an abstract figment of anybody's mind. And anybody who says I'm a girl gets awarded girl status. Trans women are women, we are told. Trans girls are girls. Trans males are males. Doesn't that essentially deny the existence of actual women as a scientific fact? It absolutely does, and they want to have it both ways. On one hand, they say, 
well, we need to fixate and we need to focus on identity because it's so important. And young people, they, they really need to, they, there's a hundred genders to choose from and you really need to focus on finding the right one. It's so important. On the, un, on, on the other hand, it's rendered completely meaningless because you can, you can put on biological sex or you can put on gender like you put on clothing. And it's, you know, in, yeah. in that sense, it's, it's no, it's no deeper than, you know, putting on a wig or putting on a, you know, a, a skirt. I mean, it's, it's, it, as you say, it completely erases uh, women. It, it erases, uh, you, you know, manhood as well. But uh, certainly when Title IX had the, uh, ha- had the goal of protecting women and girls, I mean, certainly this is a direct attack on them. Exactly. First and that. foremost. You know, we talk about the science part. Let's talk about the uh, the grammar part, because I'm a retired English teacher. When I say retired, I lasted six years before I decided I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm going into into radio. Uh, and so when I was an English teacher, I used to teach the mechanics of language, including uh, parts of speech. And this new adaptation of pronouns is just blowing my mind. You cover this, among other provisions in your resolution, Brendan Shea, of the Ohio Board of Education, whereas under the proposed rules, actions such as a student or a staff member using a child's legal name and biological pronouns, rather than the child-selected preferred pronouns, a name and pronouns, could be deemed a form of sex-based harassment, uh, uh, subjecting schools and staff to civil litigation and loss of federal funds. In other words, students and staff alike have to memorize made-up words that have no basis in reality whatsoever, or even if they are real words, words that do not comport to typical standard English uh, grammar rules, such as personal pronouns that are uh, uh, singular versus plural and so on and so forth. And if you don't do that, you are considered to be misgendering somebody and thus sexually or sex-based harassing them. How dangerous is that for kids and staff? It's dangerous on so many levels, and, and we're seeing it take root across different sectors of society. For instance, uh, my understanding is the AP style guide, right, that they produce for reporters. They're already changing that and changing the guidance, you know, basically rewriting, attempting to rewrite the rules of grammar. Uh, I, I was an English major. You, was, you were an English teacher. My father, an English teacher for 45 years. Um, you know, so so I think what the next thing that's coming is we're going to have to rewrite if this takes effect and if this continues, we'll have to rewrite our science standards. We'll have to rewrite our English standards, right? Because all of these things are being rendered uh, null and void. You might as well throw out, throw them all out. Yeah. Um, if you just tuned in, we're talking to Brendan Shea. He has written a very very. Bold, and when I say bold, I mean that in the sense of courageous, because you you know you are setting yourself up for some extraordinary attacks. You're going to be a bigot. You're going to be a transphobe. You're going to be a homophobe. You're going to be all of these things. So it is a bold resolution for the Ohio Board to adopt uh, to oppose fully and and fervently the changes to Title IX being pushed by the federal government right now. Um, so we've talked about the science. We've talked about the you know the language and so forth. Let's talk about the the core issue here of parents. Uh, whereas the proposed regul I'm sorry, yeah, whereas the proposed regulations would require that K to twelve schools socially transition minor children to a different gender without requiring parental notification or involvement and recognize 
uh, the right of parents to direct the education, upbringing, and physical and uh, mental health of their children. Uh, and whereas for many parents, the nature of human person created by God, male and female, is a deeply held, held religious belief. And children are harmed when parents are barred from the decision-making process to protect their child's physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. This might be the core of all of it. Um, yeah. It, 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 the fact that schools would would dare say we will keep these things secret between teacher and student as if teacher is a bigger role and a more important role in the upbringing and the development of a child than the parent. I think at its core, this is maybe the biggest attack in the entire Title IX proposal and the entire trans movement proposal, really, uh, that is plaguing acad- academia. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so many of so much of what's going on today, whether it's CRT or the gender issues, uh, is an attempt to to separate parents from children, children from parents. There is actually a graphic uh, called the Whole Child Framework. You can your your listeners can can look it up uh, in a search engine. And you can find it. It's it's very stark. It has the child in the middle, and it has so many other uh, catch catch phrases around the child and on the outer rings of Saturn, you find the word family. I mean, it's a stark uh, depiction, visual depiction of what they are attempting to do. And I believe this is the the latest and the boldest attempt at doing that. They talk about safe spaces, and and the implication is that uh, many children, uh, to their way of thinking, are not safe with parents because. Most parents today still hold traditional values, still hold uh, a biblical worldview, and uh, that's not acceptable to them. Um, that's that's very well said, and it's uh, and it's very disturbing that I have some other things to read to you now. Uh, I was reading to our listening audience and from your resolution, which, by the way, calls for, and I'll just kind of get to the, uh, the 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 end of that before I give you the other side of this. Uh, resolved. The State Board of Education declares its unequivocal opposition to the proposed regulatory changes released by the U.S. State Depart- or U.S. Department of Education. The board supports the lawsuit filed by the Attorney General and 21 other state attorneys general seeking to invalidate the newly enacted Department of Agriculture rules um, that tie continued receipt of federal nutritional assistance and other funding to Title IX and the adoption of their gender identity policies. Uh, the board directs its acting superintendent within 14 days to issue a letter subject to the approval of the president of this board to every school district and every Ohio school or institution receiving federal funds indicating that the Department of Education opposes these regulatory changes. Uh, and it goes on a bit. I, I, I'm in the interest of time, I can't read it all, but it's very, very well written and it's very well argued. But Brendan Shea, here's what I received uh, in, in my email inbox from a couple of different people. Honesty for education. Immediate action needed. Say no to the State Board of Education resolution targeting LGBTQ plus students and rejecting Title IX protections. Um, the other side of this is saying you're targeting LGBT kids, you, or Q kids. You are trying to make sure that their lives are miserable, that their existence is, is not affirmed. Um, you address this, though, don't you, uh, Brendan Shea? When, when you talk in the end about recognizing the reality of gender dysphoria and making recommendations that they, you know, that, that we show mercy to this, that we show real compassion for this, and that there are ways to deal with this that go beyond, uh, or rather not beyond, but rather instead of changing the way all children 
uh, are treated in schools and changing the way girls are protected by way of Title IX. Yes, absolutely. So the other side, they claim the mantle of compassion. They claim the mantle of love. But is it compassionate to affirm someone in an untruth? Do we do that in other areas? If a child, uh, there, there are other disorders out there, you know, I, uh, the tendency to, to want to cut off, chop off a body part. Do we, do we affirm the child in that? Do we say, yes, go ahead, you know, cut off your arm? No. You know, empowering children to flourish entails helping them to fully embrace and integrate reality. And, and so that's what I think we need to do for all children, including those who are suffering in this way. Uh, you know, the other side, they claim to be concerned about children's mental health. They frequently highlight that it's on the decline, and, and it is. Uh, my question would be, who has been at the helm? in recent years and decades. Who has had the influence of pushing certain things while uh, students and, and children's mental health has been on the decline? Uh, it's been the same folks that want to push the, the latest and greatest trend and fad in this area as well. Do you have a belief uh, in the numbers? Um, the, these groups that are, you know, the opposition groups that are sending out these emails calling your your resolution, you know, bigoted and, and transphobic and all these other things. They claim that there are approximately 1.3 million transgender youth in the United States and approximately 52,000 in Ohio. Do you believe those numbers? I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I, that sounds remarkably high. They always, their strategy is to appear uh, larger than they actually are. I mean, it's, it's, not just a question of numbers, uh, even a small... This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Four King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Okay, it's 11.37, so we only have about six minutes of radio left here with Brendan Shea, uh, member of the Ohio State Board of Education. I want to spend those minutes this way, Brendan. One more question. Then I want to talk about the likelihood of this passing the board uh, and uh, a board vote. And then I want to talk about what we as uh, concerned parents and citizens can do to help encourage that. The question goes back to what I was saying a moment ago. I was asking a moment ago, and I said, this is, these are the numbers. Do you believe them? the number of people with, uh, that, are, that are trans in, in, in the schools. And you said no, and I completely concur with that. And so when people say, well, if the number is so small, why are you worried about it? Here's why I'm worried about it, and I'd like you to comment on that. Because they are trying to literally recruit that very, very small number of people who actually have gender dysphoria. They're trying to recruit people into the fold so that they can grow and expand their political power. That's what they're doing with these young kids and why they're sexualizing them and teaching them about sex, sexual attraction, sexual identity and expression in preschools, in K through through 4. Uh, much less when you get up into the uh, you know upper primary grades and into middle school and high school. They're trying to get these kids to adopt the trendy nature of trans. And you see um, teachers and preschool uh, advisors and so on and so forth all over the internet talking about how I've got a you know I've got a, a, a 25 kids in my fourth grade class and 13 of them are trans. Well, they, they, that's just simply. Absolutely statistically impossible unless she is literally trying to talk them into it and they want to please their teacher. So they're saying, yes, here are my pronouns. Yes, here is mine. 
So that's the concern I have. It is the answer to the question, if the number is so small, why are you worried? Because of what they're doing to grow that number. And that is perverting kids' minds and then eventually talking them into the puberty blockers and into the radical things that are going to affect them for the rest of their lives. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. We actually had a, uh, a woman testify at the State Board of Education last year about uh, her minor child, her minor daughter, who she eventually discovered after the fact, had befriended a, a group of girls who were following this, this trend, this, you know, this, this fad. Mm-hmm. And this, the, the woman who testified, she, she indicated that her daughter actually initiated the transition process, apparently without her even knowing, and she alleged uh, that the school you know, by behind her back and at that time illegally, right, helped to, to facilitate that along. But, but she did speak to that, to that fact that, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's ironic that, uh, kids really do influence each other. Is that a, is that a wild idea? You know, is it a wild idea that, uh, you mean peer uh, pressure that we've all dealt with for the entirety of our existence? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, and we, and we see that, you know, I'm hearing in certain districts, you know, even, rural areas that I represent, you know, half the class is coming out, just like you, you alluded to, half the class is coming out and saying, you know, I now identify this way. And uh, so there's absolutely an aspect of that, an element of that, um, you know, and a, a recruitment and grooming nature of this. Yeah, it is exactly that. Now let's talk about your resolution and what, um, what it's got in front of it. Can you tell me where you think things stand with respect to the rest of the board and adoption of this? I have a number of friends and colleagues on the board who uh, I'm, I'm working with, I'm standing and, and fighting side by side with, um, who have provided input, who have provided encouragement, uh, who will be right there battling right alongside me. In terms of you know, the confirmed number today, can I say that that number is a majority? I can't. Can I say that I think we're in striking distance? Absolutely. I do believe that uh, public input matters tremendously, uh, and so that is, you know, I think you said you'll we'll talk about that next. But well, that that's is, just it. Yeah, that was my last question. What can we do? What can we do as public, as the public, concerned parents or just citizens? What can we do to try to stop this nonsense in its tracks and get your board to uh, to adopt this resolution? Sure. So the organizations protect Ohio children, Ohio value voters, John and Diane Stover. Uh, they are they are battling uh, alongside us, uh, you know, promoting this resolution tremendously. If your listeners go to protectohiochildren.net, they'll find uh, toward the top of the page a link that they can click on, and it'll give them all the information they need to submit public testimony. We need lots of written public testimony. Uh, that's a matter of uh, quantity, right? These these testimonies get loaded uh, into our our materials. Uh, they can email the board, very powerful, and they can also... Act- I can't do it Tuesday, I'm going to be in D.C., but I want to do this, and I want everybody to follow that lead, And, and uh, the, but uh, the deadline for the written part, the written comment uh, in, uh, in support of this is, is Sunday, you're saying? The written, the written testimony uh, can be submitted any time, and it's supposed oh. to be uploaded into our board materials uh, basically on the fly. Uh, so the written testimony you can submit at any time, uh, and again, that's a matter of quantity, so it doesn't have and that's to be. A, and, that, uh, and that's at Protect Ohio Children, right? ProtectOhioChildren.com? 
Dot net. Dot net. Okay, I wanted to clarify. All right, I want everybody within the sound of my voice to, to act on this. Go to that website, write something in support of this resolution. Make sure you target specifically the at-large members of the board so that we can protect our kids, quite literally. Brendan, we'll have you back on again as this works its way through, but we're out of time for now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you for your support. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.